Well, good morning, folks. It's uh, good to see you again on this uh, beautiful Sunday morning. And uh, uh, again, it's kind of strange uh, me being here and you there, but I pray that uh, you are growing uh, in your walk of faith with the Lord during this, uh, this crazy time that we're living in. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue our series. Uh, this is our third message in our series on dealing with the devil. And so I pray that you're ready to jump into God's Word. Uh, if you have your Bible, and as I always say, I pray that you do. If not, grab your Bible very quickly and turn with me to uh, 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 21 this morning in the precious uh, Word of God as we get started. And uh, if you remember, uh, two weeks ago, uh, we uh, were looking in Scripture and we saw how that subtle serpent he slithered his way into the mind of Eve, uh, you know, with deception back in Genesis chapter 3. And we looked at how the devil attacks and his desire is to deceive us. And then last week uh, we were in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2 and, and we saw that as the destroyer, you know, as Revelation 9 and verse number 11 calls him, as the destroyer, uh, Satan uh, attacked the fruit of Job's body. He attacked the means to sustain Job's body, and he also attacked his physical body as well. Uh, but this morning in 1 Chronicles 21, yes, the Old Testament, uh, we're going to see that the devil uh, launches another attack by using another weapon in his arsenal, so to speak. And uh, But this time, you're going to see that his strategy is not to become the deceiver or the destroyer. This week, we're going to see that his strategy is actually to become the ruler in your life and in my life. And so uh, we'll see that he does this with uh, David in the life of David. And uh, certainly we know from Scripture over and over that Satan is referred to as the prince of this world or the ruler of this world. Uh, in fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, in verse number 11 and 12, the Bible says this. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the methods of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickednesses in high places. And so right off the bat, what we know is that dealing with the devil is no joke. You see, because the, the attacks that he launches in your life and in my life are no joke. That's why as 1 Peter 5.8, and we've been using this every week to remind ourselves, 1 Peter 5.8 says that you and I need to be sober and to be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, he's walking about seeking whom he may devour. And so as we get started this morning, if I were to ask you, right off the bat, if I were to ask you about David's great sin, Without hesitation, most people would probably refer to his uh, sin with Bathsheba. In fact, if we look back at that story, we know that four people, uh, you know, uh, perished because of his sin during that time with Bathsheba. We think about Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband. Uh, uh, the child that was born to David and Bathsheba died. We also know that because evil rose up in David's house later on, that Amnon died and then even eventually Absalom died. And so most people would say, man, uh, when I think about David's great sin, it's probably his, his sin with Bathsheba. But what about his other sin? 
And I think that's what we'll see this morning because when we talk about David's other sin, not four people died, but 70,000 people died. I think about uh, when reading in 2 Samuel chapter 12 about David's sin with Bathsheba, David, when he confesses, he says, I've sinned against the Lord. In our passage that we'll read today, you'll see that he says, I have sinned greatly. And so let's jump right in, 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 21, to find out what is this other sin uh, that we find in God's Word. Look with me beginning in verse number 1, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, and the Bible says, And Satan stood up. Oh yes, he's involved. Notice it says, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And David said to Joab, this is the captain of his guard, he says to Joab and to the rulers of the people, he says, go number Israel from Beersheba even unto Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, the Lord make his people an hundred times so many more as they be. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? When, why then doth my Lord require this thing? Why will he be a cause of trespass to Israel? Nevertheless, verse 4 says, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Wherefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And so what we see here in this first part is David is provoked by the devil. He tells Joab, go number the people. And then if you look in verse number 5 and 6, the Bible tells us that Joab goes out to do exactly what David says, but he doesn't complete the job. He doesn't get the full account for David because quite honestly, Joab is disgusted with what David is asking him to do. But let's keep reading on. Look back at verse number seven and let's see what God thinks about it all. Verse number seven, the Bible says, and God was displeased with this thing. Therefore, he smote Israel. And David said unto God, I have sinned, notice what he says, greatly because I have done this thing. But now I beseech thee, do away the iniquity of thy servant. Now that word iniquity means to be twisted out of shape. He says, I'm all twisted out of shape. I'm, I, I did it from a perverted sense of, uh, uh, of what's going on in my heart. He says, do away with thy iniquity of thy servant. He says, for I have done very foolishly. Verse number nine. And the Lord spake unto Gad, David's seer. Now this is a reference to the prophet Gad saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Choose thee either three years famine, or three months to be destroyed before thy foes, while that the sword of thine enemies overtaketh thee, or else three days the sword of the Lord even the pestilence in the land and the angel of the Lord destroying through all the coasts of Israel. Now, therefore, advise thyself, what words shall I bring again to him that sent me? And notice verse 13. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord, for very great are his mercies. But let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel. And there fell, notice what the Bible says, and there fell of Israel 70,000 men. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to bless our time this morning. Would you join me in prayer? 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together once again. God, as a body of believers, as those that are, are, are connecting with us through our online services this morning, God, I pray that you will work in our midst, that you will speak to our hearts today, God. Certainly uh, a powerful passage of Scripture and, and uh, the, the extenuating circumstances surrounding this story, God, are so, so incredibly important for us to learn the lesson here today. And so, God, I just pray that you would give me wisdom, give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech as I endeavor to communicate your word, not my word, but your word uh, to your children today. God, I pray that your word would fall upon the good soil of our hearts. And certainly if there's somebody who is watching and has joined us this morning that uh, does not have a personal relationship with you through Jesus Christ, God, I pray that today that you would make it abundantly clear to them that you love them and that you desire to have a relationship with them and that their response would be to place their faith in the risen Savior of the world. Lord, we love you. We look forward to what you're going to do in the next few moments of time. And we give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it all. In Jesus' precious name and for his sake, amen and amen. Well, notice right away we get back uh, to our text this morning. And I want to give you our first uh, point. Back in verse 1, we can see that Satan's target right, with uh, David here in our text. And, and honestly, his target with us many times is our will. Notice verse number one, it says, and Satan stood up against Israel and provoked. Notice that word provoked. It means that he sought to stimulate or to seduce David into numbering Israel. So we see that Satan's goal is to get a hold of David's will and then to control it, to, to kind of direct it wherever he wants. In fact, we see this playing out in James chapter one and verse number 14. The Bible says that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. It's different for every one of us. But here we see that the devil is, is enticing David. He is provoking him. He's setting a lure just as, a, as we would if we went out to the local pond uh, to fish. He has set the lure out to try and uh, get a hold of David's uh, will here. In fact, the devil uh, may begin like he did with Eve by deceiving the mind, and, and he may attack the body like he did with Job, but ultimately his desire, I believe, is whether he's attacking our mind or our body, he wants to get to the will of every one of us. And so, quite honestly, I, I don't see that he targets David's mind or his body. He goes straight for the jugular, so to speak. Right? He's going right for the jugular when he provokes David to number Israel. And, and so I read this passage and I read the chapter before and after, and I don't see that David's mind's deceived. I don't see that his body is attacked. In fact, things are going really well for David. If you read uh, the chapter prior, and I would encourage you to do that in 1 Chronicles chapter 20, you're going to see that David had gone to battle with his army and he's won a number of great uh, notable victories. And so... Uh, things are going great for David, right? He's, he's experiencing a season of notoriety and success. And so the devil seeks to provoke him. And notice verse number two of our text, because David makes a sinful choice. Notice he says, bring the number of them to me. He, he tells Joab, he says, go and find out how many there are in Israel and bring the number to me. And notice what he says, that I may know it. 
It's all a matter of David's will. He's saying, hey, I want to know how many men I have. And then notice verse number seven. We know the Bible says that God was displeased. He was displeased with this thing. And, and although we already read the passage and we see David's repentance and his confession in verse number eight, verses nine through 12 is incredible because in verses nine through 12, God is actually giving David a choice as to what the consequences of his sin will be. I remember Krista and I used to do that uh, years ago with the boys. And, and I won't tell you which boy we did it more with than the other, right? But we used to do it with the boys and we would say, okay, you know, uh, your decision, your choice uh, has now resulted in consequences. And so what do you want the consequences to be? And so I, I kind of feel verified in that because I see that God did the same thing. He says, hey, I'm going to give you a choice. He says, you can either have three years of famine, you can have three months of being destroyed by all of your foes, or you can come uh, for three days under the sword of the Lord. And he says, David, you make the choice. And what we know is, look at verse number 13. Because in verse 13, excuse me, David tells the prophet Gad, he says this, he says, let me now fall into the hand of the Lord for very great are his mercies, but let me not fall into the hand of man. Guys, I'm thankful that David says, great are God's mercies. But here's something that I, a little quick side note for every one of us. Yes, God is a God of mercy, but God is also a God of judgment, right? Whatever you sow, whatever I sow, we're going to reap it. We have to be very careful about the decisions that we make, right? And then look at verse 14, because verse, verse 14 tells me that pestilence comes, and the Bible says that people died like flies. Oh, folks, sinful choices have dreadful, and sometimes they have deadly consequences, right? Sometimes, sometimes the choices that I make, the choices that you make, they have not only dreadful but deadly consequences. Think about this. I, I know that in Romans chapter 14 and verse number 7, the Bible reminds us all that none of us live to ourselves and none of us die to ourselves. David's decision had an impact not only on 70,000 men that died, but just think about the, the, the extenuation of that. What about these men's families? Right? So hundreds of thousands of people are impacted because of David's will to number the people. If we were to read on in verses 15 uh, through the rest of the chapter, really, we, we, you'd read how David, he cries out to God. He goes up and he offers sacrifice to God. And ultimately, man, praise the Lord, ultimately God stops the plague and he spares Jerusalem. But you and I, I mean, even when I read this passage, we have to be careful never to underestimate the importance of our will and the choices that we make in this life. Honestly, guys, God wants us. He wants me and he wants you. He wants us all to be devoted to him no matter what we're facing. He wants us to be devoted to him today. In the midst of, uh, of these circumstances in which we find ourselves with COVID-19 and all the other things that are taking place, uh, loss of jobs, homelessness, and, and suffering all around the world, not just in Virginia, not just in the United States, but all around the world, He wants us to be devoted to Him, which means that all throughout our Christian life, right, 
It's, it really comes down to a matter of will. What are we going to do? Are the decisions that we make really that important? And I would say they are. I think about it. Every one of us, every believer has had a time when we exercise our will. You're, you're not a Christian this morning if you've never had a time that you exercise your will because every one of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, there has come a point when you and I said, yes, Lord, I will receive that free gift right of forgiveness i will receive that free gift of salvation through jesus christ right and so we've exercised our will uh before whether we know it or not and and the reality is our, our will is a crazy thing right sometimes i'm sure there are times when we uh we may not feel like going to work have you ever been there done that you wake up, maybe you're a young, young person, a student this morning, and you say, hey, there have been times when I wake up and I don't feel like going to school. I get it. I'm guessing that now maybe some of you who didn't like school would actually like to get back to school. But the reality is sometimes we wake up and we don't feel like doing something. But in order to eat, in order to pay the bills, in order to live, we will ourselves to get up and go to work in order to pass the class, pass the test, and move on to the next grade. We get up and we will ourselves to go to school. Likewise, there are times when you and I may not feel like praying. There are times that you and I may not feel like worshiping or serving God or obeying God. But we will ourselves to do it because of His love and His goodness to us. Oh, listen, our will is a huge target for the devil. Not only does he seek to attack our mind and our bodies, but our will is a huge target for the devil because his original sin, remember we talked about this a few weeks ago, his original sin, original sin was one of his own will. In fact, Isaiah in chapter 14, let me remind you what the passage says in verse 12 and following. The Bible says, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nation? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation and in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Do you see it here? The devil actually says, I will, five times in this one passage. That's exactly what he wants to control in my life and in your life. He wants to control our will. He is the ruler, right? We talked about it. He's the ruler of this world. And since you and I are just strangers and pilgrims passing through his earthly territory, right? We're just passing through his earthly territory. He wants you and I to worship and to serve him. He wants you and I to be submitted to his will, not God's will. And so he attacks the will. That's the target. But what is the weapon he unleashes? Quite honestly, the weapon that he unleashes, uh, unleashes in your life and in my life is as old as the devil himself. It's the weapon of pride. And he may use other weapons, but in this context, we see in chapter 21 that he uses the weapon of pride. It's the weapon that he uses with David. Remember, David's feeling important. He's, he's got his chest all puffed out. He's won a lot of victories. And the devil stands up. And the Bible says in verse 1 that he provokes David to number Israel. And so, uh, again, 
First Chronicles chapter 20 records all these great victories. And so, uh, in essence, the devil is, is using all of these victories to inflate David's ego. And he gets him all excited about all the things, thinking he's done all these great things, not remembering that it's God who gave him the victory, right? The battle is the Lord's, David said. He, he said that when he went up against Goliath. But instead of thinking about the fact that the battle is the Lord's, he gets puffed up and he, and he starts exercising some pride. And so the devil uses his pride to entice him. And he tries to do that with us as well. Think about when David sinned with Bathsheba. It was a sin of the flesh. But here when he seeks to number the nation, it's a sin of the spirit. And as believers, you and I have to be very careful because both are wrong. In fact, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. He says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. By the way, the word all in the Greek actually means all. So whether it's a sin of the flesh or whether it's a sin of the spirit, he says, let's cleanse ourselves from it. And then he goes on, he says, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I think about the story over in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son. And, and you know the prodigal son, he was guilty of, of, of a sin of the flesh. But I think about his proud, his critical, his selfish, his mean-spirited brother, right? The prodigal finally comes to himself and he comes home. He realizes he sinned. But the brother is guilty of sins of the spirit, but we, don't, we, we, we very rarely talk about the brother's sin. We're always talking about the prodigal son. Oh, we have to be careful because sometimes I feel like we're quick to judge people. We're quick to condemn people who are involved in sins of the flesh like David was with Bathsheba. Like we get very critical of people who are guilty of using vulgar language, people who are uh, living in sexual sin or dealing with drunkenness in their life or adultery and on and on. You could list all the sins of the flesh you want and we get very critical of people that way while ignoring for the most part, I'm going to tread lightly here, while ignoring for the most part sins of the Spirit, right? People who are steeped in gossip, right? People who are using their tongue for reasons other than to bring God honor and glory. People who are using their thumbs, texting in a way that does not bring God honor and glory. Uh, jealousy, competition, and on and on. And included in one of those sins of the Spirit, it's pride. It's a huge, it's a huge problem. And, and I think about, think about even, you know, we talked about the devil attacking Eve's mind. When he attacks her mind, he actually used pride as a weapon too. You remember he tells Eve, he says, he says, hey, listen, God knows that when you eat this fruit, you're not going to die. He knows that when you eat it, you're actually going to become as God's. He uses pride to get a hold of her mind. And he does the same thing with Jesus. We talked about a couple of weeks ago how the devil leads Jesus out in the wilderness, right? And he's tempting the Lord. And in Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 8, and we'll not read it for time's sake, but he basically shows uh, Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, which is kind of ironic since Jesus is the creator God. But he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, hey, look. He says, all these things you can have. And he shows them the glory of them. He's using humanistic pride to try and even attack the very Son of God. And so pride is a weapon of the devils. And it's one of the greatest dangers of success, quite honestly. 
uh, uh, we, we, we get some kind of accolade in the workplace and, and or in our families and our neighborhoods. And, and pride is a huge danger of success because pride glorifies man while robbing God of the glory that only he is worthy of. Which is why Peter warns us in 1 Peter 5 and verse 5, to be clothed with humility for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. You see, folks, God wants us to be humble. And some of you may be thinking, well, hold on a second. I see verse 1. I see how uh, uh, Satan stands up and he provokes David. I see how David says, hey, go number the nation. But what's the big deal? Because back in Exodus chapter 30, didn't Moses do the same exact thing? Didn't he order a census back in there? Here's the big difference. When Moses did it, it was done as a reminder to the nation of Israel that it had been purchased or redeemed by God. In fact, if you were to read Exodus chapter 30, we read how that every male, right, under the age, uh, under the age of 20 actually paid a half of a shekel of ransom money. This was Moses' way of acknowledging God's redemption of all the children of Israel from Egypt. And so the thing is, when Moses did it, he did it in a way that brought honor to God. But when David does it here, as we see in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, you also see it over in 2 Samuel chapter 24. When David does it, he does it for his own glory, not God's. It was pride that motivated David into action. David said, number the people. Joab says, don't do it. David says, I'm the boss. Get out of this place and go do it. And then we see the consequences. You see, David's will, quite honestly, was motivated by his pride. And the devil knew the devil knew that David was feeling his oats, so to speak. And so he takes advantage of this opportunity of, of surrounding David's pride by attacking David's will. Merriam-Webster, I was looking earlier, Merriam-Webster uh, states that pride is the quality or state of being proud, such as inordinate or excessive self-esteem or conceit. It was pastor, teacher, and biblical counselor, Dr. Wayne Mack, who put it this way by saying this. He says, pride consists in attributing to ourselves the honor, privileges, prerogatives, rights, and power that are due to God alone. Notice he went on to say that pride at its core is the idolatry of self. Oh, we must be so careful because the devil desires to work in our lives and he desires to work in the life of the church. Listen, it doesn't matter from the pastor all the way down to uh, the greeter. It doesn't matter what position we hold in serving the Lord, right? If, if the devil can use pride to get a foothold in the ministry uh, of the local New Testament church, oh, great dangers lie ahead. We must, we must be so careful. Because pride is one of the main weapons he uses. In Psalm 10, in verse number 4, the Bible says, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. In fact, God is not in all his thoughts. I was reading over in Proverbs chapter 6. This is a classic passage, verses 16 to 19, where the Bible reminds us of, of a list of six things that God hates. 
And if you're to read that passage, you'll notice that in verse number 17, number one on God's hit list is a proud look or pride. Oh, it's so incredibly important to protect ourselves from this issue of pride. In Proverbs 16 and verse number five, the Bible says, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination. In other words, is disgusting, the Bible says, to the Lord. Now notice these last words. It's pretty important. It says, though hand join hand, he shall not be unpunished. In other words, even though the prideful person will do all that he or she can to prevent their own ruin, the Bible says that because of their pride, they shall not go unpunished. Folks, we can't, even, we can't even take time to uncover all that the Bible has to say about pride in this one message. But there's one thing that I see over and over in Scripture, and it's that God hates pride. And not only does, it, does He hate pride, but James chapter 4 and verse 6 reveals that God resists the proud. But notice it says He gives grace. To the humble. So he opposes anybody who is exercising pride or is proud in their heart, and he gives grace to the humble. Sadly, in our passage today, we see the devil attacks, and because of David's pride, right? His pride brought about death and sorrow to the nation of Israel. Oh, the devil's target is, is the will, his weapon as we see this week, is, is pride. And like I said, he uses all types of weapons. So maybe it's not pride with you, but maybe it's something else that he uses, right? To get a hold of your will. But notice his purpose in all of this is to make us independent of God's will, right? His purpose is to make us independent of his will because biblically, pride is the attitude of independence from God. And this is exactly how David's operating. Satan stands up, he provokes David, he stimulates him and tries to seduce him. And David says, hey, Joab, get out there and number everyone. And Joab says, whoa, whoa, time out, don't do it. But it was pride that David was operating from, right? And so David says, I don't care about what, what the consequences are. I want to make this choice and it's all about me. I want to know the number of it. Look, remember verse number two, he says, bring the number to me that I may know. It's all about what I want. It's not about what God wants. And that's, that's so dangerous for us because sometimes when we're exercising pride or some other uh, sin of the Spirit, we say, hey God, I don't need you. I can do it myself. I can manage my life. In other words, what we tell God is thanks, but no thanks. Pride actually runs contrary to our very nature. Do you know that? It runs contrary to our very nature because you and I are dependent people. And whether we ever say it, whether we admit it or believe it, we all depend on God. Even if you're watching today and you say, I don't even, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior, so how are you telling me I'm dependent on God? You're dependent on God. The rain that falls and the sun that shines, you're dependent on God. At nighttime, you get rest. You're dependent on God. The food that you eat, you're dependent on God. We're all dependent on God. In fact, Acts chapter 17 and verse 28, Paul in his Mars Hill address, he says these words, he says, For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. Folks, the essence of any sin is the idea of operating outside or independent of God. 
And notice, Satan's purpose with David. Notice quickly three things. Notice, it was not to make him ignorant of God's will like he did with Eve. David knew exactly. He knew that he was out of God's will, and yet he sinned willfully. And that's what happens to us sometimes. You and I don't have to be told we're out of God's will when we sin willfully. We know it. We're making a choice. But sometimes I think we make those choices without understanding what the consequences may be. Secondly, it's not to make him impatient with God's will like he tried to do with Job. No. Devil wanted David to become, excuse me, to become independent of God's will. The devil was saying, it's like this. He's like, hey, David. You know, you're, uh, you're getting to be somebody there. Look at you. You're doing big things. Look at all these victories you've won. I mean, look, you're, you're pretty great. I mean, God chose you. You're the king. Why not number all the people in your kingdom? And so what he's doing, he's trying to, to take a hold of David's will by this, by this uh, sin of pride. And he's saying, David, it's all about you. You don't have to worry about God. You're in control. These are your people. You have a right to know how many people you have in your kingdom. Oh, pride is such a deadly weapon. We must be sober. We must be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, is a sneaky, sneaky, subtle serpent slithering around seeking whom he may devour. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 18 says that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. David literally went from hero to zero quickly. And folks, it can happen the same way to you and I. Whenever we act in direct opposition or disobedience, if you please, to God's word or his will, you and I are actually displaying our pride for all to see. In 2 Samuel 24, in that account of this story, that passage actually reveals, this is crazy, that God gave David 10 months. He gives David 10 months to repent of his prideful decision to number Israel. He says, I'm going to give you 10 months to repent of it, to no avail. I mean, how long have we been given at times to repent of our sin? Oh man, it's so important that we read all of Scripture. Sadly, David continued to be filled with pride. He was filled with the pride of life. In fact, 1 John in chapter 2 and verses 15 and following, the Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. And verse 17 says, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of of God abideth forever. Folks, David was not guilty of the lust of eyes as he was when he was looking at Bathsheba. He's not guilty here of the lust of the flesh as he was when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. This time he's guilty of having the pride of life. And his pride caused him to act independently of what God wanted him to do. You and I would do well I think I put down in my notes, you and I would do well to remember that God is the potter. We are the clay. Oh, don't, don't get that backwards. A lot of times we think we're, we're the potter and we're molding our own lives into whatever we think they should be. Remember, we are just the clay. His desire is to mold us and to make us after His will. 
Again, in verse 14, look at our text. Verse 14 reminds us and says that the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel and there fell of Israel 70,000 men. Oh, David found out the hard way that sinful choices will take you farther than you want to go. They will keep you longer than you want to stay. And ultimately, in the end, they will cost you. They will cost me. They will cost all of us more than we're willing to pay. Truly, I know that God is a God of grace, right? In His grace, He forgives sin. But I also understand that God has a government, right? He, he has grace that forgives sin, but He also has a government that permits us to sin. And, and, and He not only permits us to sin, but He allows sin to run its course and to reap or to produce, if you please, its results. And the results in David's life were humbling. 70,000 men died. Hundreds of thousands of people, their lives were uh, turned upside down because of the loss of their loved ones. Oh, listen, God wants us to be humble. It was Charles Spurgeon who said these words. He said, every person has a choice between being humble or being humbled. He said, you can humble yourself or you can let God do it for you. How incredible is that? Again, I made that reference earlier to Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 7 that teaches us all the principle that God will not be mocked. Whatever we sow, that shall we also reap. 70,000 men died. And I think about it, David had been given so much. He had been given so much. And as verse 8 says, he says, I have sinned greatly. He, he, he was given so much, he sins greatly. And now we see 70,000 men dying. Much was required of him. Oh, we must beware. We must be on guard against this, this developing this sense of pride in our lives because it always leaves God out of the picture. And so we think about pride as a strong weapon and the devil is such a strong adversary. We must have a strong defense system. And praise God we do. Praise God, we have a strong defense system because as believers, you and I, Jesus said this, you and I have been blessed with the indwelling Spirit of God. As believers, our body has, been, has become the temple of the Holy Ghost, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 19. The Holy Ghost lives inside of us. And as such, Philippians 2 and verse 13 reminds every one of us that it is God that works in you and me to will and to do of His good pleasure. Oh, my friends, it's only when the Holy Spirit of God is working in us that we can say like our Lord and Savior did in Luke chapter 22, right? Only when the Holy Spirit is working in our lives that you and I can say, not my will, but thine be done. Right? We have the Holy Spirit residing inside of us. And so it's incredibly important uh, to understand that we have that defense system because the devil, he wants to rule our lives. He wants to take away our testimony. And without, quite honestly, without the power of the indwelling spirit of God in our lives, I'm no match for the devil. You're no match for the devil. We will lose time and time again. By the way, it's not about me doing my best. Right? For God. A lot of people say, hey, just do your best for God. It's not about me doing my best for God. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit of God, which has taken up residency inside of me, to do His best in and through me. 
And so what I have to do is I have to yield to uh, the Holy Spirit's uh, guide, guiding and directives and, and on and on as I learn truth from God's Word. Oh, that's why James, I've said it three weeks in a row. That's why James chapter 4 says that we need to submit to God. We need to resist the devil and then he will flee from us. But notice the order. We submit first, we resist second, and then the devil flees. Oh, we have to follow God's prescription for success. We need to resist the devil's attacks by putting on the whole armor of God, as Ephesians 6 says. And verse 14 reminds us especially of the belt of truth, which is going to remind you and me that the only one who deserves all the honor and all the glory is our Lord, not us. We need to make sure that we're yielding our mind that we're yielding our body and that we're yielding our will, all three areas to the Holy Spirit of God. It was Paul who said to the church at Rome, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The verb present there in verse number one actually means a once and for all surrender. And that's exactly what you and I need to do when our body and our mind are completely surrendered to God. The Holy Spirit of God will empower you and I to defend and to defeat the various attacks of the devil. Oh yes, the spirit of wisdom will teach you and I from God's word how, how that our mind will recall God's truths when the devil seeks to deceive us. The Spirit of grace gives you and I the grace to endure bodily suffering as we were talking about last week with, with Job for God's honor and glory. And honestly, the Spirit of power, the, the Holy Spirit of power indwelling inside of our lives will empower you and I to say no when it comes to pride or, or whatever the sin is. It doesn't matter. The Spirit of God will empower us to be able to say no. And so instead of doing our will, we do God's will. Oh, certainly Ephesians 6 says that we must get ready for the battle by putting on the armor of God. But here's what I know. If pride's a problem for you, and maybe it's some other sin, no matter what it is, if it's a problem for you, then I want to encourage you to do exactly what David did, right? Number one, he, he not only repented of it, he confessed it. In verse number 8, the Bible says that David said unto God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing, but now I beseech thee, do away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done foolishly. David owned up to the fact that he had sinned and his sin was all on him. He didn't blame anybody else. He repented of it and he confessed it. But he not only did that, he also accepted the consequences. I say all the time, we make choices and choices make us. And sometimes we, we don't make godly choices. We don't make godly decisions. And sometimes we allow our pride to get out of whack. Sometimes we allow ourselves to make other choices that are not God honoring. But David, he accepted the consequences. In verse number 17, the Bible, notice what he says. He says, I, it is, that have sinned and done evil indeed. But as for these sheep, what have they done? 
Let thine hand, I pray thee, O Lord my God, be on me and on my father's house, but not on the people that they should be plagued. He says, hey, it's I'm the one that sinned. So, so if somebody has to be punished, if somebody has to be corrected, let it be me. Don't put the punishment on anybody else. But not only did he repent and confess and accept the consequences, I think that throughout the remainder of David's life, we know that David was a man after God's own heart. He learned to humble himself in the sight of God. And that's what James says in James chapter 4 and verse number 10. The Bible says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. No matter what the sin is, no matter what we struggle with, if, if you're struggling with pride, right? Someone once said, uh, the moment you think you're humble, you're not. But we need to work on humility, right? Follow the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But there are a few other strategies that I just want to share with you before we close. A, a few other strategies of success. And, and the first thing I would say is that you and I need to submit our will to the Father's will. Quit, quit worrying about what, what we think is right and start worrying about what God says is right. Proverbs 14, 12 says that there's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the ways thereof are the ways of death. Isaiah 55 and verse 8 and 9, the Bible reminds us that God's thoughts and God's ways are much higher than my thoughts and my ways. Oh, listen, we need to... Uh, Get rid of this idea that I need to do everything according to my will and, and your will. We need to do it according to God's will, right? Submit our will to the fathers. It was uh, God says to uh, Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29 and verse number 11, he says, For I know the thoughts I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. God has a plan for every one of our lives. He knew us in our mother's womb. He knew us before he formed us, Right? And so he has a plan. He has a perfect plan. And we just need to understand that sometimes that plan requires us to suffer. Sometimes that plan requires uh, for us to go to battle, which is why we need the armor of God. But secondly, I think we need to walk in dependence upon the Lord. God's word contains all of his precious promises. We need to take a hold. We need to latch on to the promises of God, right? We need to understand and be confident, as Philippians 1, 6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Oh, submit our will to the Father's will. Walk in dependence upon the Lord, right? His, his promises are precious. and We can make use of them each and every day of our life. And then lastly, I think the biggest thing that you and I need to understand is our defense system. We need to recognize the indwelling spirit of God. We need to recognize that we are no match for the devil. When he seeks to deceive the mind, when he seeks to destroy the body, and when he seeks to rule our lives, right? Uh, getting a hold of our will and trying to control our will. We need to understand that we're no match for the devil, but we can expect victory. Amen? We can expect victory because we have the Holy Spirit of God has taken up residency inside of our breasts and we can cling to the truths of God's word that tell us that greater is he that is in us than he that is, what? Walking about, seeking whom he may devour. Amen? And we can have the victory, right? And so I want to encourage you today, no matter what you're facing, no matter uh, this time that we're going through, 
right? The, the devil is going to attack. He attacks the mind and the body and the will, and he seeks to deceive and to destroy and to rule our lives no matter what we're facing. Oh, we have a defense system that has been tried, a defense system that is sure, a defense system that is strong. And so I encourage you, take heart, take heart, and understand that the devil, while he may be a match for you and I, he's no match for our great God and King. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer today. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. And certainly we're mindful of all of the things that we've learned today. Lord, I pray that your word has fallen upon the good soil of our hearts. And God, certainly if there's somebody that's watching or listening that has never, you know, uh, we were talking earlier about admitting or, or believing that they're dependent on somebody, God, that today that they would understand their dependence and their need for a Savior, right? And God, that they would understand that you love them so much that you sent Jesus to die for their sin. And God, I'm, I'm just praying that people, if they've never made a conscious decision, a, a decision of their own will, right, to trust Christ as their Savior, that today that they would desire to become a Christian, you see, being a Christian is not about what dad or mom believes about grandpa or grandma or what my brother or sister believes. It's about what we believe personally. And so God, I pray that if there's somebody that's watching or listening, God, that is intently praying right now that they would open up their heart, that they would, they would say, yes, Lord, today I'm making a decision of my own will to accept you as Lord and Savior, to ask you to forgive me and to come into my life and save me. I pray that that would be their prayer. And God, for those that are watching who are believers, God, I pray that today that they would understand that no matter as the devil seeks to attack our will, as we learned in this story, and he uses various lures and, and enticements such as pride and other sins of the spirit and sins of the flesh, God, I pray that we would understand that we can be strong with our defense system of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God to overcome anything that we might face. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the time that we've had in your word. I pray that you'll dismiss us with your blessing and we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it all. In Jesus' precious name and for his sake we pray, amen and amen. Well, folks, again, it has been good to be with you online this morning. I get energized each and every week and uh, let me just say, I miss you. Uh, please, please, do your part. Stay safe, right? I pray that you're doing well, but make smart decisions during this time. I know there's a lot of talk about when we might be able to worship together again, and I'm looking forward to that, but I also want us to be healthy and to be safe. And so if we can be a blessing to you in any way throughout the week, please let us know. Uh, we, we love you and appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for your faithfulness and giving to support the ministry here and our missionary partners all around the world. We certainly could not do what we do without you. Your love, your prayers, and your support are so appreciated. I love you and look forward to seeing you next time. By the way, we'll be together next Sunday for Mother's Day. I'm planning a special message for Mother's Day, and then we'll finish our series uh, that we're currently on the week after that. God bless you. Have a great day.